Welcome to Solutions, when men come out of the shadows to testify, giving tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we have on the show a tireless advocate in the growth of communication. He's a driven man whose presence and presentation will generate an aura before words are birthed from his mouth. A true change agent, a man who leads by action and experience. He starts his day with the powers of gratitude and thankfulness. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the speaker, the coach, the husband, the mentor, relationship expert, and the author of the number one Amazon selling book title. It's really good to see you. He's a true lighthouse, an ultra ray that casts out shadows of negativity, Mr. Stephen Anthony King. <sighs> Peace and blessings, my brother. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor and it's a pleasure. And it is really good to see you. <laughs> Absolutely, sir. It is really good to see you. I think that's going to be the theme today as we yes, roll sir. through in this Solutions for Men. Are you ready to drop these gems and answer these questions today? Well, you know, my nickname is The Jeweler, man. So let's go. <laughs> let's get it. Here we go. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive towards the man you are today? Who or what defined you? My mother, plain and simple. Uh, my father uh, died when I was four years old. Mm -hmm. My stepfather was an alcoholic who I actually tried to go upside his head with a bat and I attempted murder to murder him. My mother was my pillar of strength. Through it all, she was there. You know, she worked tirelessly as a, a, a um, payroll clerk in Metropolitan Hospital. She didn't make a lot of money, but what she did was save her money and was able to get us out of the heart of Harlem, where most of the friends that I was growing up with later on uh, wound up in, in jail, on drugs, or um, dead, and moved me down to the east side of Harlem in a new complex. And, you know, always a classy woman, always had me in the best private school. And again, this is on a limited income. So she personifies no excuses, if you will. And where there was a will, where there was her will, she made a way. So I honor my, my mother who has transitioned on and she is the reason why I am who I am today, without question. That's a beautiful thing to hear. Can you talk to me about the values your mother gave you, how she secretly gave you the tools for financial literacy by able to balance the finances the way she did? Well, hard work is the number one thing she instilled. You know, we as 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 youngsters, we emulate as we grow up what we saw as 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 children. And what I saw was a woman who got up every day <clears throat> and go to work and come home and during the holiday would work a second job at Macy's. You know, it was big back then in New York City. That would be your second source of income to pay for the Christmas gifts. And throughout it all, she still took the time to go to school, to get a certification, to improve her pay at her job. So she worked two jobs. She would go to school at night. And again, this is before online courses and things. So going to school was physically going to school, coming home late at night, making sure that there was food for us to eat and, and getting up and doing it over and over again. And 
for her to be able to save her money. I used to see the stack of bills coming in, but I also used to see her with a pen and a paper and writing out her budget on how much money was going to be allocated towards bills, how much money was going to be allocated towards food, so forth and so on. And again, uh, being in private school, there was tuition, there was uniforms, there was me, um, you know, wanting the latest Converse or Pro Keds that was out back then, the latest AJs or Playboys or British Walkers. And through it all. British Walkers, yes. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> through it all, you know, on this, on this limited income, she was able to make it happen. The similarities that we have growing up is the fact that I also went to private school. I am from mm -hmm. the Bronx, New York, and I understand that my mother put us and my brother and sisters through private school, and I have no idea how she did it with the budget that we had. Correct. That was some great action, some great women in our lives. But do you remember something that you can tell us today that you can pass on to someone watching, something intricate that your mother told you with her words and not with her actions? My mother wasn't very verbal, and that's, that's, that's um, you know, I learned this later on in life. I read the book, The Five Love Languages, by a gentleman named Harry Chapman. Yes. And, you know, people express love in, in different ways. And my mother wasn't very expressive um, with her affection or her wisdom. It was more in her actions that, uh, that took hold to me. But there is something that someone instilled in me that still resonates today. Um, was a gentleman and it was, uh, it was uh, I was a young adult just getting into the corporate world and he said this to me and it stuck with me to this day. The punishment for a man who lies and cheats is that he can't trust anybody. Mm. It sticks with me today because it is so true. Now, it doesn't mean that when he said it to me, I took heed, because <laughs> I did a lot of lying and cheating. But as, as I matured, and I was able to see that I was imprisoning myself with guilt and shame, and if I was doing something wrong, you had to be doing something wrong. And, um, and it stuck with me. So that's one of the most profound statements or gems that that anyone has ever given me didn't come from my mom but i thought it would be appropriate for this question absolutely the levels of morality and how it how it translates over to that answer yes it was great i i am taken back by that that is very deep and no doubt that man has touched you with those words and you've touched me and anyone's listening it's spreading like wildfire and i'm sure we're going to take heed and listen to what you have to say. And yes, sir. Our emotions and what our feelings have to say, whether we lie, cheat, or steal to this day or we don't, we understand why we don't trust. So that, that was amazing. I'm taken back by that. I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Do you have a vision board? I do. And what does that vision board look like? Can you give us a goal, apex goal that you achieved and an apex goal you're currently chasing? The goal I achieved was my book, and um, it was done. I, I'm a firm believer that when you're you're walking in purpose, things things start to come easy. The universe gives you what you are supposed to have 
to fulfill that purpose. And my book, it's really good to see you. And I'll, I'll just show it to you for your uh, your audience there. Um, is 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 my legacy. And I knew that I was going to write this book back in 2018. And <clears throat> just to give you a short history, and I won't I won't make it long. I was born. Oh no! Take your time, brother. We want to hear this. I was born severely nearsighted. I had my first eye surgery when I was seven years old. By the time I was 16, I had three more surgeries. Uh, shortly past college, I lost sight in my right eye. Fast forward to 2016, I had a total of 10 eye operations and only had sight in my left eye. And in 2017, I was faced with four more serious eye surgeries. And with each surgery, what was hanging in front of me was the threat of permanent blindness. I had the first surgery. <clears throat> Things were going well. About a month later, um, I had to have emergency surgery on Father's Day. Okay, and the doctor told me that if I would have come in one day later, I would have been blind. Hence the name of the book, It's Really Good to See You. Because when I say it's really good to see you, I mean it's really good to see you. <laughs> a month later, I had to have another emergency surgery. And, you know, this went on. So when the doctor finally, things, things took hold. And a year later in 2018, the doctor finally said to me, I think we got you out the woods. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude that I, I made a commitment right then and there that I would share that story with the world, the story of pain, perseverance turned into purpose. And I won't tell the whole book, but there's a really good ending to it. And it was at that point that I knew that I was gonna write this book. I already knew what the title was and I wrote the title down on my vision board. It's really good to see you. I knew there was no other title for me. I'll tell you something else. I didn't write this down, but the power of visualization. I visualized back in 2018, sending emails about my book with the title being, it's really good to see you to uh, a lot of people, but at the top of the list was Oprah, Steve Harvey, and Les Brown, who has been one of my heroes since the early 90s. And I would listen to, to his motivational uh, uh, talks. I want you to know that Les Brown wrote the foreword to my book. <laughs> mm, that's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And back in, back in, in, in 2018, I visualized myself sending emails to these people. So one down, two more to go. Oprah, I'm coming for you. Steve Harvey, I got a suit waiting for you, brother. So I'm coming for you folks. But in, in answer to answer and get back on topic to answer your question, um, my, my book is, is my legacy in terms of vision. And one that I, I am achieving as we speak is generational wealth and a family business. I wanna take my platform and have my entire family work within that business and nothing else. You know, I, 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 <clears throat> I put a lot of years into making other people rich and uh, I put a lot of sweat equity into other people's dreams and helping them fulfill their dreams. And it's now my time. And not just for me, 
but it is going to be the second part of my legacy for my family to create that generational wealth, to create that generational uh, 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 business or family business that will live on for years to come. I love the fact that you have legacy building. I want to ask you something I like to call an audible question. Usually you won't get audibles this early, but I'm definitely going to ask it. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> we have an audible question. The audible question I have for you, you talked about legacy, you talking about building patriarchy, right? In your family. Correct. I had a conversation with another black man who told me he would not name his son Junior if he's too popular because there's a gift and the curse of people judging him for my greatness, for his greatness coming into align with their expectations. And I disagree with him because you don't work that hard just to say, I'm going to duck my legacy off of his name so he can have it harder to understand. How do you feel about that? I, I agree with you. I, I, I believe that um, as the patriarch, it's my duty, it's my responsibility, it's my service to my son uh, to instill in him his own independence, uh, his own path, to nurture his own path, to encourage his own path, whatever that is. Yes, I'll give him the guidelines. You know, when you, when you, you go bowling and for people who don't bowl very well, they put those bumpers up so you don't you don't have the, the you don't bowl a, a gutter ball. I believe that as a father, that's what I'm supposed to do. I can't impose my will on him, but if if properly guided, um, my son will take hold of my vision because it will be one that he believes in. It'll be a great vision. It'll be a a, a great purpose, if you will, and he will find his own lane within that larger purpose. You know, you bring that up. I'm part of Les Brown's uh, Academy. It's called Hungry to Speak. And it is a family-run business. And, you know, his youngest son, John Leslie Brown, uh, runs the entire business. So it's a, it's, a, it's a prime example. And Les Brown used to bring his son on stage as early as, I believe, 10 years old, you know? And, but he has his own identity. He doesn't, yes, there's the Brown family name, but people don't know him as Les Brown's son. They know him as John Leslie Brown, an independent entity within this family business. And he's doing a heck of a job. So I believe that it, 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 it depends on the father and how he's guiding the son, whether he's just looking to latch on to my fame and my celebrity or find his own. Absolutely, I agree with that. And mm -hmm. having sight beyond sight and having the vision you have, even if you were going blind, you still had vision in your mind and your spirit. But tell me, during those times, what type of affirmations were you telling yourself every day to make sure that your vision stayed as clear as the eyesight you wanted? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's a, that's a phenomenal question and I'm huge. In, in spirituality. And that includes affirmations, visualizations. So, you know, when I was going through uh, these experiences, I couldn't sleep at night. So instead of just, just, just laying in the bed and letting my mind go wherever it would take me, and usually if you're not intentional, your mind will take you down the wrong street and you'll wind up with that guy with the beat up fedora and the striped sweater with the dude, 
manicure, you know, serious manicure, right? So I had to be intentional with my thoughts. And I would visualize, first of all, my granddaughter, um, at the time she was three years old, I would visualize seeing her walking down the aisle and getting her diploma at her college graduation and me acting the fool at her college graduation, embarrassing her. And, and let me be clear, documented today, I'm gonna act a fool when my granddaughter graduates from college. <laughs> but, you know, when I would have those negative thoughts, that's where I would go. And I, I really, that became my anchor thought. But in terms of affirmations, I would say, thank you, God, that my eyesight is healed. Thank you, I have retinal surgery. So I would say, thank you, not please God, but thank you, God. And to me, there's a big, big difference. So thank you, God that my eyesight is 2020. I would say, you know, why not? I've never had 2020 eyesight in my life, but my affirmation was thank you, God, that my eyesight is 2020. Thank you that my retina is healed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Every affirmation that I spoke was thank you. Because it's not so much what I'm saying consciously, it's what I'm feeding my subconscious. And to me, to ask for something, please give me, grant me this or that, implies that I don't have it already. When I say thank you, that implies that I already have it. And to me, saying thank you is what activates what you already have. You know, I don't believe that, you know, you can't return me. I didn't come with faulty parts. I am perfect in my uniqueness. That was another one of my, my affirmations and still is to this day. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm human and I have insecurities and I have complexes. And for a very long time, I was very insecure about my eyes and my eyesight. And as I began, began to turn that pain into purpose, number one, when you turn pain into purpose, it don't hurt no more. That's number one. And when you're walking in purpose, the universe, God, the creator, whatever you choose to call him, will give you and open up your mind to a higher level of consciousness. And I believe that by affirming, you activate that higher level of consciousness. You know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, in the beginning, it was the word. And words, words are energy. They don't just leave our mouth and, and disappear. Just think about it. You take two little kids and you tell one little kid, you're bad, you can't do anything, you're stupid, you know, you're not gonna grow up to be anything, you're so dumb, you can't do it. How's that little kid gonna grow up? And then you take another little kid and you tell that one, I love you, you're beautiful, you can do anything that you want to. You know, you are so smart, you are so handsome. Think about how you're pouring into that young man or 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 young lady and how they're going to grow up and you know we're we're so quick to worry about the words we say to others and don't really pay attention to the self-talk the words we say to ourselves and to me that's what affirming is all about it's part of my regimen every morning when i get up there's certain things that i do that i like to call winning the morning i do certain things with my wife we call it making love every morning and if you want to we'll get into that but I believe that if I win the morning, then I can win the day. And it starts with my mind. So I have to be intentional about what I say to myself and to others. But first and foremost, 
to myself. So my affirmations are, you know, I am loved and accepted for who I am. I am successful and I am worthy of success. I am attractive inside and out. I still to this day say my eyesight is 2020. And it's not there yet, but I believe that with technology, right, anything is possible. And it's not just about saying the words, you know, uh, without feeling. You have to feel the words that you're saying. You have to visualize the words that you're saying. It has to resonate deep into your subconscious to really be activated. So just saying the words and going through the motions is nothing, right? I went to see uh, uh, Anthony Robbins back in 2006, and he calls it incantation. And, um, you know, he, he talks about how you really have to say the words with such vigor to penetrate down and resonate down to the subconscious. And I'll never forget, I used to work in New Jersey. I lived in the Bronx, up in the Baychester area. And I used to drive uh, to work in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. And in my car, I would be screaming at the top of my lungs, I am successful and I am worthy of success. I am successful and I am worthy of success. And I knew people who were driving by, right, thinking I was crazy, right? But I'll tell you, being at that job for six months, I did so well, I'm in sales, that they paid for my vehicle. My lease was up, I needed a new vehicle and they offered to pay for it. Uh, that was in November. That March or uh, uh, mid-March, that's when they sent me to see Anthony Robbins. Now, again, all the time, I'm successful. I'm worthy of success, right? They chose me out of about 70 salespeople to fly to Colorado Springs for this three-day convention to see Anthony Robbins. Two months later, when I came back, I got promoted to uh, uh, a manager. And I, I had a whole department that I, uh, I was in charge of with 50 people, uh, as salespeople. So these incantations, these affirmations, they work, but it's not just saying them, it's saying them and feeling them in your soul. That's what brings them alive. And I'm sorry if I went off a little bit too long on this oh, question. Not at all, sir, you are dropping these gems. We love to hear this conversation. We love to hear this kind of talk. I love to yeah. see that 2020 vision and, and within your spirit and within your hindsight, I mean, I know your vision is going to be 2020, but you had 2020 vision for real within your visions. And we applaud that. Tell Thank me, you. you wrote a book, you're a published author, but what other books besides the five love languages, if you can give me a book right now that you feel helps save your life, what would, what would that book be? As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Mm. Tell me the emotions and feelings that book gave you. What did it get up? What action? What would you charge with that for that book? That was the start for me of a higher level of conscious thinking. It's a small read. I, I, I would encourage anyone to get this book and read it. And what it does is talk about the power of the subconscious, the power of the mind, and how your thoughts dictate your words and your words dictate your actions and your actions dictate your circumstances. But it starts with the thought. And it's a biblical, it's a biblical uh, a statement. 
as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, you know, and it is a phenomenal book. Took me a while to catch on to the language because I, I had one of the original versions and it was written, you know, I believe in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but it is one of the most profound books that I have read in my entire life. Another one that sticks out for me is Conversations with God, an Uncommon Dialogue by Neil Donald Walsh. And it's a series, I believe, of three books. And that uh, really helped me answer the question of God, not religion, but of God. Mm. And it is, uh, it is the story of a gentleman who's down on his luck. Everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Wife left him, lost his job, house foreclosed. He starts writing letters to God. And he has this spiritual experience where God starts answering him through the pen. And when he realizes now that God is, is answering him, he starts writing it down and he starts asking God all the age old questions like, God, if you're God, why is there hunger? Why is there their disease? Why is there famine? And it, it really, it really, for me, clarified the difference between spirituality, spirituality and religion. Okay. Uh, religion is man-made. Spirituality is a personal relationship with the creator. And, you know, in essence, God was saying, listen, you know, don't put that stuff on me. <laughs> you guys did that. The universe is infinitely abundant. There's enough for everyone, right? But greed is what causes lack for some. You know, greed is what causes uh, 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 war and things of that nature. And it goes on to say that only you have the power to correct that, but it has to be done with a collective consciousness, you know, and um, meaning the world, because we do have the power. Think about it. We, we could we could end war right now. We, you know, I don't want to get it, go down the rabbit hole of COVID and the vaccine and all that stuff, but all that stuff could be eradicated right now. If everyone in the world came together and said, enough is enough, this is how we're going to move forward. So Absolutely. we do have. <clears throat> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree, man. It's a universal energy, universal laws out there we cannot ignore. There's energies, there's readings. I agree with you a thousand percent. So here we are, a young man being showed the pathway of life by a strong mother, by her actions, her will not to quit to help you survive. You're reading books, you're understanding your life. You have these affirmations, you're screaming in the car and you're also being validated through the universe and the words you are speaking from your mouth from actions. Through all of that, through your successes, getting there, several surgeries, tell me this, what did you sacrifice? What did I sacrifice? That's a great question. If I had to look back, I sacrificed time. Mm. I wasted, I don't even want to say sacrifice. I wasted a lot of time chasing things. Uh, chasing money, uh, chasing outside validation, 
chasing, you know, we, we come up and I came up in Harlem, you came up in the Bronx, chasing ghetto fabulosity, as I like to call it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a fresh whip, some fresh kicks, music blasting, you know, and when I get to the next corner, I rewind, you know, press play again and put start the record from the beginning. So now this block can hear the same jam that's, that was playing last <laughs> You know, stunting, man, just yeah, stunting. Yeah, out there, getting it. Exactly, I get it. But I, 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 and again, I'm sorry if I'm going off course with sacrifice versus wasted, but I believe that it was wasted time. And I believe that all of us, as yourself, and, and you're doing it, right? All of us that have made it through, right? Because we, we didn't wind up as a statistic. You know, we're, we're not in prison, or in my case, still in prison. You know, we're not on drugs or in my case, still on drugs. We're not dead, being shot, gang banged, whatever. Right. So I owe, I believe we owe. And I'm glad that you have this platform because it allows you to speak to those out there. I have made the mistakes so that you don't have to. Don't waste time. You know, I once heard somebody say killing time is suicide. Question yourself, why am I here? Why am I here? Is it just to get up and go to work and come home and watch, watch, you know, the game and then get up and go to work and come home, you know, and on the weekend, go to the club, pop some bottles. Like, why was I created? And when you start to really question that on a consistent basis, the universe will start to give you the answers because for a long time, I didn't question that. And it was only through experiences. For me, God has a way of humbling me in my most arrogant areas. You know, I chased that money and I acquired that money, a lot of it. But what I did sacrifice, to your point, now that I'm speaking, I sacrificed my morals and my values to gain those material objects. And it landed me an all-expense-paid trip to the beautiful mountains of upstate New York. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize that you are supposed to do something that is independent and entrepreneurial. You go work for someone else because they're actually renting you, renting your development for a short time, but you're not right. supposed to stay there. Even if a job pays you six figures, you're supposed to stay there until you accumulate enough crowdsource refund uh, funds to go do what it is in your heart that you want to do. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you stay working for someone else for 25 years. If anything, you can work five to 10 years for someone, do the right necessary saving, then work for yourself for the rest of your life with the right planning. Absolutely. And I appreciate I, you sharing that with us. I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to sure. know about your lowest moment. Now, I don't want to know about your lowest moment to get in your business. I want to know your lowest moment and how you got up. This is for the people who may be listening today, who may have went through the same things you went through, but how did you get up? So please tell us your lowest moment and how did you get up? It's a great question and it's very easy to answer. And, you know, my business is exposing my business. Um, and my lowest moment was when I was addicted to cocaine and I used to get paranoid. I stopped getting high 
and I got paranoid. And, you know, I was a little two-bit hustler. So I started hearing voices at the door. And I thought they were coming to get me, to rob me. I picked my son up, who was maybe two, three years old at the time. And I was contemplating jumping out of the window with my son in my arms. Mm. And um, I got a, I, I got a couple of low moments, man. You know, I, I used to hang out of windows because they were coming to get me, you know, heard the walkie talkies at the door. Uh, first it was the cops and, and then it was the stick up kids. And then it went back to the cops and, and then it was the cops and the stick up kids together trying to get me. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 it was, um, but that was probably one of my lowest moments, you know, aside from walking to the cop man crying because I didn't want to do it, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I was a slave to cocaine. And no matter how hard I tried on my own, I couldn't stop. And one word I can summon to, to describe how I got out of it, and that is surrender. I gave up. I stopped trying to do it on my own. I realized that I couldn't do it on my own and I went and got help. And my message to anyone who's out there, whatever you're going through, whether it be drug addiction, whether you're in an abusive relationship, whether you're in financial difficulties, whether you're, you're, you're a gambler and you can't stop gambling, whatever, whatever is your stronghold, ask for help. You see, I was addicted to cocaine, but I still had, had an image. And what I quickly learned was that you can't save your face and your ass at the same time. Mm. Something's gotta give. And when I was able to, to put down the image and remove the mask and ask for help, that began the healing process. Uh, I started out in a drug treatment program and that introduced me to a 12-step program. And today I stand before you proud to say that I have 23 years and six months clean from as much as a wine cooler. I haven't had a wine cooler in 23 years, but I can't take credit for it. It was me surrendering, asking for help, and my higher power stepping in and doing the rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like the fact that you said surrender. That is a key thing. And the fact that you're so vulnerable and we talk about people being vulnerable these days, the people understanding vulnerable is also a form of how you want people to see you and also treat you, not just something that people can shed your skin in and attack you with. So I want to thank you for being vulnerable and giving people some remedy and some answers who may be going through the same things you just talked about, the same emotions, the same feelings, the same paranoia in the same mm -hmm. best on the other side. Mm -hmm. Let's shake yeah. some of that off and let's get out <laughs> of this. I got a fun question for you now. 
Sure, baby. Sure. What have ahead. you procrastinated on and why? Procrastination. <laughs> that that that's a great question. There there are a few things that I have procrastinated on and um and, and after I share them, I'll share a great quote from a gentleman by the name of Jamie Kerr. I have procrastinated, as you mentioned early on, my wife and I are certified relationship coaches. We have an organization called Complete Chocolate Couples. And um, I have procrastinated on taking that platform to the next level. But I'm in the game now, trust me, I'm in the game. And it, it, it's, it's so ironic that you, ask that question at this time, the timing, there are no coincidences. I believe coincidences are God's way of, of remaining anonymous. Um, uh, for, yeah, for, for a while, you know, I, I kind of played mind masturbation saying that I really need to focus just on the book. You know, it's really good to see you get that where it needs to go and then go back to complete chocolate couples. But there's a young lady in, uh, in the Hungry to Speak program. Her name is Dr. Cheryl Woods. And uh, she has a, a quote that says, what you're sitting on is what someone else is waiting on. Mm. And I am now finding the time, and I'll share another powerful story with you in, in a second, and I'll, I'll tie it all up. I am now finding the time because it's not that I don't have the time it's about committing to the time there's a huge difference there's right. a huge huge difference absolutely not time and not committing to the time absolutely and I am now committing to the time right before uh getting on with you I was uh on with uh, uh, we meet weekly with Les Brown and he had a young woman and I wrote her name down. Her name is Pauline uh, Ahai, H-A-H-I. This woman, and she spoke tonight. This woman has no arms and no legs. She was born with no arms and no legs. She has a driver's license and drives in California. Wow. And she, she told us a funny story about getting pulled over for a speeding ticket, right? She is now a motivational speaker and a life coach with a thriving, a thriving business. And all the time that I was looking at this woman, I was like, wow, if no excuses was a person. <laughs> right. Right, exactly, exactly. No person. Knock it off, just knock it off, knock it off, right? If this woman can accomplish all that she has with no arms and no legs, then there are no excuses. But back to the point about procrastination, another gentleman by the name of Jamie Kerr said, perfection is often procrastination in disguise. Mm. People to, think, yeah, you got people, to elaborate on that one. Yeah, yeah. So people think that 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 they can't move forward until things are perfect mm -hmm. and until you can see everything. And that's not the way it works because if that were the case, faith would be out of business. 
<laughs> right. right. But right. so I like I like to fashion it to a river. Let's take the Hudson River. I live in New Jersey now. I live right on the water, so I'm able to see the Manhattan skyline. Now imagine, you know, I, I'm standing at the river and there's no bridge to cross over into Manhattan. But every time I take a step, a plank appears for me to lay my foot down. And then I take another step and another plank appears. But if I don't take a step, then no plank appears. And it appears that there's no bridge to cross. Mm. And what I'm talking about is stepping out on blind faith, you know? And during tying it into the book, I had, I had to literally walk by faith and not by sight because I didn't know if I was gonna wake up from each one of those surgeries with my sight. But I did everything in my power, every single thing in my power to make sure that I held up my end of the bargain and let God do the rest. So in terms of the procrastination, don't think that you have to have all the answers. Don't think that it's got to be perfect. Just take the next step. That's it. You don't have to take the steps from three weeks down the road or a month down the road or, you know, the final piece of the puzzle on your vision board. Just do the next right thing. And <clears throat> the journey of a thousand miles started with one step. So one step at a time. And if you don't know, don't worry about it. Fail forward. Don't be afraid to fail because failing is part of success. And the only failure really, I mean, I'm using the, the, the word, but I don't want to get you know, caught up in semantics. It's not even really a failure because the only failure is not trying, is not trying, is letting your fear paralyze you. So don't do it. I've had those experiences, so many of them, I'm sure we've we've all had, and I look back and I have regrets on it. I really have regrets on it. And, <clears throat> you know, Miles Monroe said, the richest place in the world is the graveyard. Yeah. And why is that? All the great stories untold. So many dreams, so many businesses that were never birthed, you know, so many stories, people have stories that, that, that they wanted to put in books, they never brought to life and they died with them. So I'm going to give you a call to action. Rob the graveyard. Don't let your dreams die with you. If God put it on your heart, then it is possible. It is possible. And you just, even if you can't see how, just take the next step and when you are walking in alignment, when you are walking in purpose, the universe will reward you with what you need, will give you everything that you need to accomplish that goal. Mr. King, you out here giving us a word today and we appreciate it. You are inspiring people right now who are listening, whether they running, listening, or they just listening, cleaning up the house, or they listening through their phone. They feel inspired right now. And, you, and, and I feel inspired just listening to you. And I want to thank you for your words of wisdom and kindness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you, my brother. You now live in New Jersey. Let me ask you this question. Yes, how, sir. How important is it to leave where you're from to develop yourself to where you're going? I think you have to get out of your comfort zone. 
I think life begins once you get out of your comfort zone. How can you grow if you're comfortable? You know, I, I, I've been I've been in the gym. I'm an athlete, played college ball. I've been lifting weights since I was about 17 years old. And you know the old adage, no pain, no gain. Yeah. Right? I started out bench pressing 130 pounds, right, at 17. And I'm 55 today. If I'm still bench pressing 135 pounds, <laughs> something's wrong with that. Something is immensely wrong with that scenario. So it is vitally important to get out of your surroundings, to broaden your scope, to broaden your perspective. You can't be the biggest fish in the pool. If you are, you're in the wrong pool. And you are the sum of the five people you hang around the most. So you have to evaluate the people that you are hanging around. And it doesn't mean you cut people off. But as we grow older, uh, you start to put people in buckets. You know, I have people that I've grown up with for over 45 years, back from 1975, 46 years now. And they are my friends. They are my ride or die. They're not even my friends. They are my family members, right? But there are certain things that I'm striving for that they may not be striving for. And it doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they don't want good things out of life. It just means we have separate paths. And if I stay with them, I'll never achieve, you know, all that is waiting for me. I'm a big believer that you don't have to wait on the blessings. The blessings are waiting on you. But God will only meet you at your level of effort. So if I stay stuck, then that's what I'm going to get, stuck. But if I move forward, if I take that next that next step without being able to see the full bridge to cross, then God will reveal to me exactly what I need. The universe, whatever you want to call them, will reveal to you what you need. So the short answer to your question is not only is it important, but the word that I'm looking for, you, you can't do without it. You, you, you need it. You, and I'm sorry, I'm having a 55-year-old moment for, for, for the word. But you get what I'm God saying. You, God will meet you at your effort is a solid, solid answer if you ask me. It's not about a 55-year-old moment. It's something that you have to do to grow. You have to get outside your comfort zone, make yourself right. uncomfortable to grow, activate the neurons in your brain to think about something different from the patterns in your life that you already have been attributed to. So absolutely, right. I do agree with you. Now, I have this question on the show. It's a little bit intrusive. So I'm going to ask it, but you don't have to answer it. But I also suggest that you give a solution or drop a gem for it. But let me know if you think I should keep it. Are you ready for this question? I'm ready. Bring it on. Are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what was abusive to you that you thought was love? That's easy. yelling and screaming and not only to me but i well let me put it this way i was not only the victim of it i was the perpetrator as well mm. because you know as children 
you know, the most pivotal developmental stage of a human being is, I believe, between the, the ages of four and seven, some, somewhere around there. Yeah. And what you experience in that time frame stays with you throughout your life. And, you know, that's how love was expressed, you know, or, or you know, that's that's how communication, I should say, went on in my household, you know. And I believe that it wasn't intentional. It was just that family curse being passed down, you know, and I have a, I have a story um, because I grew up and, and uh, once my son was born, you know, my heart was in the right place. But by the time, you know, whatever came from my heart got to my mouth, it was very, it was verbally abusive. It was abrasive, you know, it was just yelling. Uh, at him and you know I used to get called into school all the time uh, for him acting up and I never forget he went to the boys club and um, and I got called in by the director of the boys club and he was concerned about my son's behavior you know my son just just for the record has has since gone on to to really adjust and and address you know my treatment of him as a younger, and he's a he's a, a, a blossoming, uh, productive member of, of society right now. But you know, the 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 director went on to explain to me that he was concerned about my son and his anger issue. You know, because all the kids get angry, but they get angry, they forget it, they go back on play ping pong, pool, basketball, whatever. But he said that my son would get angry and couldn't come down, and you know. I'm thinking that I'm about to disclose some heavy stuff on him. You know, it's kind of like a drop the mic moment. And I said, well, you know, sir, um, I have a bit of an anger issue myself. And he said, oh, I already knew that. And it was <laughs> most humbling as well as humiliating experiences in my life. That was, and, that was the second part of my question I wanted to ask you. How did you recognize it? How long did it take for you to accept it? I started recognizing it when my son, my son started rebelling against me and the yelling no longer worked. He wasn't listening to me anyway and actually started resenting me for how I was treating him. And around that time, I got into recovery, into that 12-step program and I started doing work on myself. Like, you know, we use that term loosely, you gotta work on yourself, right? But I actually did written work. You know, a 12-step program, people think it's all about drugs. No, it's about your behavior and your attitudes that lead you to use drugs. Drugs is a symptom of the issue you have. The symptom is me. And so I had to literally do written therapeutic work and go over it with individuals to uncover all that stuff, all that garbage, as I say. I had to take out the garbage, the internal garbage. And as I got more into the program and started to become more aware about me, that's when I realized uh, the destruction that I was causing in my family. Mm. And um, gotten a lot better with it, not perfect, but you know, it's, it's a work in progress. I'm nowhere near where I used to be. I can now see myself coming and I have tools. That's the key. 
I, I no longer, again, not trying to just will myself not to get angry, but I have tools in place that I can pick up and utilize to avoid going down that path. I love the fact that you brought up this part in fatherhood. Cause I want to talk to you about fatherhood, but I don't want to talk about the nice gushy parts where you say, Oh, my son is beautiful. I want to talk about the times where I love you, but I don't like you right now. Tell me about the <laughs> patience you need to have as a father. These are for the fathers right now that don't know how much patience you need to have with someone who acts, walks and talks just like you and uses the same type of attitude back to you. Yeah. You know, that's, um, and 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 I salute all the fathers out there Absolutely. who are putting an honest effort to to do the best that you can, you know. And if you can look at yourself at night and say, "I did the best that I could," I think that's commendable. And and the best that you can do is not always perfect, but it's the intention to be the best that you can. And we have all. Um, do you have kids, Shane? Yes, I have one son. I have a four-year-old right now. Okay. okay, so you're not at that stage yet. Not yet. But when he becomes that teenager, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's almost like a rite of passage that they're going to challenge you. Mm. And, you know, you have to have patience and tolerance and understanding. And, you know, a mistake that I've made, and I, I, I talk to a, a lot of, a lot of uh, fathers um, in my support group, and we all say the same thing. We have to stop expecting a 16, 17 year old, or even a 20, 21 year old to think like a 40 or 45 year old. You, you understand what I'm saying? A lot of the frustration comes from the fact that we're, we are expecting these young adults, these young human beings who have not yet had the experience that we have to act like we act <laughs> without the experience. And it just doesn't work that way. No, so yeah, I've, I've had those moments. I've had those confrontations with my son. I have some regrets on how I handled them. And I think that is the beauty of of being a grandparent. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you get a do-over. You know, you 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 really get a do-over. <laughs> and, uh, and as well as I'm 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 able to to do it over with my son. You know, he's more mature, he's in a better place. Uh, you know, I, I'm in a better place. And things just seem to work themselves out. But um, I think it was Creflo Dollar who said years ago that, and, and there's a great book that I would recommend. It's called In Search of Dad, right? That I would recommend to anyone. And it, uh, but Creflo Dollar said, you lead by service. You know, we were granted the power as head of household not to rule with an iron fist, but to serve our family. And how do you serve your family? You know, by grooming them and bringing them up the right way, by pouring into them, not dumping out of them, if that makes sense. You know, not imposing my will, but imposing my love. 
and my infection and my guidance and leading by example and everything that I should that I do should be to service of my family because I, I just believe that you know inherently we are the head of the household and I know for a fact as my mood goes in the household so does the mood of the household but now you know am I abusing that privilege or am I being responsible with that power and I have to always ask myself you know <clears throat> if I don't get my way am I going to impose my will I'm a big guy I'm 62 you know 250 245 right I've got a loud strong voice and I can bully my family but but like kind of nonsense is that you know so I have to be responsible with the power that I have been gifted with and I have to always assess myself back back to what you said um you know earlier one of the earlier questions if I if there was one thing that I would do over it would be um, at a much earlier age, assess my attitudes and behaviors for the day with the people that I interacted with. And did I create harmony or dissension? Real simple, real simple. You know, and if I created harmony, then I believe that I'm on the right path. But if I created conflict or dissension, then something's wrong. And the first person I need to look at is myself. I think the biggest part of integrity is being able to accept correction. Correct, hundred percent. Yeah, and then then the respect of it all, the accountability of it all, all falls into place. Because when you mm -hmm. accept correction, even if the correction is wrong, you still can listen to it and take the values from it and say, you know what, you can either translate that might be a little bit off, or you can say, well, I can see why you say that, and have the empathy, and then it all comes together full circle, and. Yeah, absolutely. Being a parent, it doesn't have a manual, but we can learn from each other's tool belts and understand that, hey, there's some rice of passage time coming up. There's some moments here. And knowing that between the ages of four and seven is an intricate time to mold and shape that mind to be the one of the greatest minds of all time. It's all about taking the time with, with intent, like we spoke about earlier. Now, I want to get into a conversation, which is one of my funnest questions here. And I'm I'm loving your stories, but I would love to hear how this story turned about. Sure. Here we go. Did you ever get a sex talk? Who or what gave you sex education? Midnight Blue. <laughs> <on cable. laughs> and the Rob Bird Show. <laughs> you, see, you see what I'm saying? Why do you think in our communities we allow everyone else to give us information about one of the most funnest emotional things you can ever embark on? And it it can also turn out to be something that hinders you for life with government like child support and these other things. Why don't oh. we sit down and talk to each other about the pros and cons the way it feels how good it is how much certain females might take advantage of you like we all have to go in the dark with a flashlight and we all get information from people left and right of us who don't have any of the answers why do we run from this as parents why do we run from this as mentors um you you, you know you you bring up a good point sheen and uh, i think it is the responsibility of all those who have biological children and again my call to action is all those who have just made it through to a point 
of wisdom and maturity to reach back and pull up. One of the biggest uh, biggest culprits in our, especially in our community, is fatherlessness and the destruction and collateral damage that that is caused by a father not being in the household. And I, I think it's just, I think that's really part of it. You know, growing up in 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 um, in in my era, where you know, I did see a strong family nucleus with a father and a mother, but I didn't have it, and so many of my friends didn't have it. There were a few in the building, and they were like the Cosbys of of my building, and they are still kind of my heroes to this day. I grew up with uh, Malik Yoba, and uh, and his father was is is. God rest his soul, one of my one of my mentors. He used to grab us up and take us all to the beach. And he was one who had those talks uh, with us uh, from time to time. But on a consistent basis, I really had nobody to give that to me. And you know, you you reach that puberty age and your hormones start going crazy. And you know, you find yourself in the exit or in the closet or in the elevator. You know, you walking out smelling your finger all day. <laughs> <laughs> and let your friend know, you know, here, yeah. smell it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? <laughs> it, it, it's so, it's such a deep question that people don't pay attention to. Like you said, fatherless information, molestation. Uh, it's a lot of things that people get introduced to the sex in some such crazy ways that we don't protect from, that we don't talk about enough. So I'm always encouraging people to put their pride, their ego and their shame away and introduce it to your child before someone else does. I agree. I definitely- <laughs> Elevator, a staircase or a school yeah. bus. Yeah. <laughs> All day, boy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Should there be a basic training program amongst men, a level of education given out? I'm talking about financial literacy, communication, how to change a tie, how to change a tire, gardening, building wealth in our community, stocks and bonds, talking to the elderly with intent, but this is outside the school system, outside of the Boys and Girls Club and outside of the church. I'm talking about tribe neighborhood building. Do you ever think we can get back to that? Well, you know, that that's a great point. Uh, I love your mindset. Uh, I am all for that because you're right. We, we, we are all we got. And the bigger part of that is that we really are all we need. And we just don't know it. We're, we're waiting on handouts. We're waiting on the, on the Board of Ed and the public school system to teach us. What are they teaching us? They're let teaching you, us. Let me ask play. you this question. Let me ask you sure. this audible question. Mm -hmm. Comparison to how you grew up back then in Harlem to now, what is the biggest difference in terms of community that frustrates you? Lack of community. Mm. There, there is no community, right? The Asians have a community. The Jews have a community. You know, the China, uh, 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 the, the 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 Koreans have a community. The Indians have a community, and we have a hood. Mm. And, you know, it's kind of every man for himself. Gangs are out of control. And again, I believe it goes back to a number of things. Um, first of all, it's systematic and intentional to divide us. So to just 
you know, I, I believe it was Martin Luther King to say it is ludicrous. I, I forget, I'm paraphrasing to tell a man to pull himself up by his bootstraps when he doesn't even have boots. And, you know, um, since we were brought over here, um, there has been a systematic design and intent to keep us oppressed, whether overtly or covertly. And the covert part is, uh, is by pillaging our communities, you know, with ninjas, you know, they set up this system. People always say the system's broken. No, the system is working just fine because the system wasn't created for us. So the system was designed and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how, you, you know, and, and back to your point, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I raised my son. I went to court to get child support for him. And when I was in front of the judge, the judge treated me like the deadbeat part of that system. You know, the things that they teach us and the images that we're bombarded with, you know, what's the most popular black television show, right? But this reality TV where everybody's just dressing up in false eyelashes and throwing champagne in each other's faces, right? So we are bombarded. So I, I'm saying all that to say that we're not starting at the same place that those other communities are. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I want to make that clear. I say we have a hood. But there's some 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 caveats to that, you know. Um, we have been systematically <clears throat> there has been a systematic foot on our neck since we've been here. But it goes back to my call of action that those who are able to kind of like get out of that 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 bondage, we have to give back. And it's funny you mentioned that because I'm putting together a plan to go back to where I grew up and and start, you know, galvanizing. You know, I, I grew up on First Avenue, 109th Street. So there are about seven developments from 101st Street all the way up to 124th Street, right, on First Avenue. And my goal is to galvanize uh, all these uh, all these uh, housing developments and get the men, the OGs like me, who still get respect from everyone, you know, the elders respect us and the youngsters respect us and galvanize and come together because there is strength in numbers. And, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't live with myself just, you know, living in the comforts of my home saying I made it. And then when I go back to the neighborhood, just talk bad about everybody. I, I, that just doesn't sit right with me, you know. And I don't hang out with guys like that. So in the short answer to your question is yes, there should be some collective uh, curriculum, if you will, or at least attempt to educate our own by our own and not look for handouts or for anyone else to do it for us. Yes, we sh I, I, I hear a lot of talk of critical race theory. We shouldn't even be in that talk. We should be already teaching our own personal history so we know who we are. And something about sticking our chest out even further when we understand what has been done to us, who did it, and why they did it. And now we can understand what trust really looks like. 
Just like Correct. we talked about earlier, the person who lies and steal has no friends because he can't trust anyone because of all the yeah. harm he's done. And that applies here when you see someone overreact and someone gets shot by a cop. When you see someone overreact and does something to an innocent black person because they have done so much in morality that they can't trust anyone, not even themselves. And they think karma is right there every time they open their eyes. Absolutely correct, brother. Absolutely correct. All right, check this out. So I'm ready to get into this part of the conversation. Ugh. Now, we talked about earlier, and I've also done my research. So I know that you and your wife, quote unquote, make love every morning. You yes, sir. Earlier. I didn't forget what you said. So we're going to go dive into the husband talk and narrative talk really quickly, okay? Let's okay, get bro. into this. But I'm going to ask you a couple questions. First, I want to poll you. I want to know the top three things you want in a woman. And the reason I ask you that is because I want to see if you leave out one of the most intricate things I believe is very important. Doesn't have to be in your top three, no. But I do suggest every man have it at least in their top 10. <laughs> okay. okay. Me, uh, Mr. King, the floor is yours. Give me your top three. This is this is easy. And, and these three are in no specific order. Um, but there must be a physical attraction. I'm, I'm just keeping it real, right? I'm physically attracted to my lady, or in my case, my wife. And my wife still lights my fire. Um, <clears throat> there must be intelligence. And intelligence slash drive. Mm. Mm. Um, and... and and I think they go hand in hand, you know? I don't want someone who's just settling for, I, I, I want you to be independent. I want you to go for yours. Um, and I want you to be able to stimulate me intellectually. I want us to be able to have great pillow talk and great conversations aside from the physical, you know? I need that stimulation as well. And the third thing is I need loyalty. And when I say loyalty, I'm not just talking about she's not going to go out and cheat on me with another guy. I'm talking about loyalty to our, our partnership. I believe that loyalty embodies her knowing her role. Her not allowing me to lead, but supporting me as long as she sees that what I'm doing is constructive to our partnership man i have a proverbs 31 woman brother you know the bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing right and i'm from harlem though so he who finds a wife finds a good thing you know <laughs> a quick story when i knew i was going to marry my my wife uh we were dating and I, and I want to say I married my best friend. You know, we've been married 14 years, but I've known her for about 25. And I can literally say I married my best friend. And um, I'll never forget that job that I told you that I worked at at Inglewood Cliffs before I had it. Um, I owned my own company. And uh, with that company, you know, I'm not getting into all the details, but that's what led me to that all-expense-paid vacation to the <laughs> So, you know, I started looking for a job. I hadn't been on paper 
with a resume in over 10 years. And I'll never forget, an opportunity came up for an interview at this job in, in, in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. And I mean, I was so broke, man. I didn't even have gas money. I didn't have gas money. My then girlfriend stood up all night with me to make sure that my resume was updated and presentable and actually went and borrowed money from her friends to make sure that I was able to get to that interview. Right now, mind you, <clears throat> let me let me let me put it in perspective. The backstory to that is that when I had my own company, I was getting it, Gene, right? And and we were living great. I'm talking about we would go to buy like one outfit to go to a party. We walk out of the store. This is back when A Street was popping down in the village, right? And 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 we come out of there with six and seven outfits, leather coats, all that stuff. Like I was really giving her whatever she needed. And then I was down to nothing. And she never switched up on me. And if, 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 if anything, <clears throat> her loyalty to us strengthened and was, was even uh, more apparent. And she went and got money for me uh, to fill up the gas tank and go to that interview. And that was the job that I told you, they, uh, you know, after being there for a couple of months, paid for my car, made me a manager, all this and all that, right? So I knew then that I was gonna marry this woman. And I, I used to be a party promoter and I, I threw a birthday party for myself and I proposed to my wife at that party. And I, I sat in front of a crowd of about 300 people. She was with me when I had mo money and she was with me, had no money. Mm. Same person. She was the same person. That loyalty, that loyalty is is utmost. So those would be my three physical appearance, <clears throat> intellect slash drive, and loyalty. There's no wrong answer when you answer these questions because it's curtailed to what you need. But intelligence is the one thing I've always liked to hear because you said it best. Sometimes beauty fades, but intelligence to stimulate your mind will always be to help you grow. Absolutely. Right. I appreciate your answers. Now yeah. let's put you in the husband chair. And this is I a just, you you gotta keep my mind hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put you in the husband chair. You're already in the husband chair, but depending on how you answer this question. I want to hear what you have to say. As a husband, would you rather have a great woman or a great wife? You have to pick one and tell me why. Well, uh, I, I I think if you if you have one, you have the other. I, I I truly believe they're one and the same. That's my answer because there's no wrong answer. Yeah, I do have a great woman. Um, who represents us well. And in the book, the, 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 the story within the story is, is her loyalty to me and how she held me down. Uh, if you go on my social media on Facebook, you'll see, I put yesterday, if hold me down was a person and I put my wife's picture. And uh, I believe, I believe that every great woman kind of, uh, uh, 
evolves into a great wife. I think every great woman out there will attract her king and will be attractive enough that he will want to marry her and make her the wife. I'm a big believer in vibrations. And I think we, 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 we operate off of frequencies. And, you know, quite often people think you, you attract what you want. You don't. You attract what you are. Mm. And when the queen is ready, the king will appear. So I believe in terms or in definition of a great woman, I think a great woman evolves uh, by just by nature into a great wife. Absolutely, brother. I love your answer. You're helping people out there today. Now, Thank validation you. from your partner. It's like you yep. win a championship when you meet the right woman. Well, Mr. King, I ask you, do you defend the title? Are you competing with the best versions of yourself year after year to be that strapping man that she loves the most? Are you defending the title or are you laying back after some victories? No, no, no. And and that's that's the beauty about the drive that I talked about. Because the drive fuels me and motivates me to be on my game. Because my wife is never stopping. She is never stopping. You know? And the beauty of it is, is that she doesn't have to tell me, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? Just her actions motivate me. Just the greatness in her stimulates the greatness in me, if Question. that makes sense. Yeah, it, yes. makes sense. it makes a lot of sense. Let me give you this audible. You once said that your mother's actions and her drive stimulated your mind. Can you honestly say that frequency is what you found in Married? Yes, a hundred percent, because I was operating on a lower frequency. <clears throat> and again, back to, so, so here's how it ties in, right? I was in a relationship that was very toxic. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. It was just two broken people, right? Trying to find their way who, who, who had never had guidance. And we harmed each other because that's all we knew how to do. And we went our separate ways. And that's when I started getting into that step work that I told you about in the 12-step in the program. So I actually took out the internal garbage, if you will. And I started vibrating on a higher frequency. And I was able to not only attract, but to be able to recognize that this is the right woman. I think when you are operating on your, there are two types of sight. There's eyesight and there's mind sight. This is what Les Brown taught me, right? The eyesight is what you see in front of you. The mind sight is what you know in your, in your being, in your soul that is right for you. And I was able to have the mind sight to say, this is my queen. And I still feel that way to this day. I tell her every day, you know, marrying you was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, ever. So, so yes, that frequency, whatever frequency you, you're on, not only do you attract the individual, but you have enough intuitive sight to know that this is the right one for me. And this is where you are. 
yes. attract who you are. I like to attract who you are, absolutely. And I want to leave space enough right now to talk about what you said about how you and your wife make love every day. I've done my <laughs> research. I know what you've said about it, but please enlighten my audience on the process of that. Okay, you, did you did you put up the disclaimer that this is uh, you know after a certain time the show goes to you know the, the next rating is no longer PG. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is this is this is a show about men and we talk about men things and this is what we do. So you talked about what you say every morning to her when you wake up, the gratitude you guys give is all in that process. So I, I would so love to hear hear from the from the the man who does it every day's mouth to. Maybe some you might want how to add that to their life. So this is how I make love to my wife every morning, gentlemen. As soon as I open my eyes, I turn over and I whisper softly in her ear, you're beautiful and I love you. Because I want that to be the first thing she hears every single morning when she wakes up. Because I believe that that's what women need. They need that affirmation. They need that expression of love and they need that reinforcement. And I give it to her, not just because she needs it, because I believe that that's what she is to me. She is beautiful and I do love her with my, with my being, I love her. That usually wakes her up very gently. The next thing we do is list five to 10 things that we are grateful for. Each, not, not collectively, but I list five to 10 things and she lists five to 10 things. And what that does, Sheen, is start that frequency. It points me in the right direction because we all know that you can wake up and you don't have to do anything to start thinking negative. And remember what I said earlier, you know, win the morning and you win the day. So, you know, Life is going to show up and life doesn't always show up with high heels and, and makeup on. Life can get real ugly and you can wake up and start thinking about all the stuff that went wrong yesterday, all the fears of the things that are going to happen tomorrow. You know, there's more month at the end of the money. You know what I'm saying? The credit can't get it. So I have to be intentional. We are intentional about pointing our mind in the right, in the right direction. And for me, there's no better way to start vibrating on that highest frequency than with gratitude, with gratitude. Just try it. You can't be angry and grateful at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. So we list five to 10 things that we are grateful for every single morning. The next thing we do is pray. We, we cuddle up play a little footsie. Like, like I told you, I'm 6'2", I'm about 245, but but I'm a marshmallow when it comes to that that cuddling stuff, man. I like that stuff. <laughs> I get all tickly inside. <laughs> but we hold hands, we, we all on each other, and we start Ooh. praying. Prayer is one of thanks. Not God grant me, not God please, not God give me. Thank you, God. Thank you for waking us up to this beautiful day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your divine protection that covers us, covers our children, our family, our friends, all our loved ones. Thank you, God, for the power, the guidance, the provision that you have already given us. Thank you for it. And again, for me, the thank you activates what is already in me. I don't have to ask for anything. 
you know, there's a story in the Bible uh, about the chosen people when they were in des desert and God would give them manna, which was their nourishment. It's like a grain. And he would give them only enough for the day. If they tried to stack it up and save it for the next day, it would go bad. But every day they had enough, right, to get through that day. And I believe that God gives us all enough to get through the day, whether it's strength, whether it's guidance, whether it's patience, whether it's healing, whatever. God did not bring us this far just to bring us this far. But you have to activate it. And you activate it with faith. And what better show of faith than to say thank you instead of please give me. Think about it. If, if, if I want $5, right? And I say, Sheen, please give me $5. That implies that I don't have the $5. But if I say thank you, Sheen, for the $5, <laughs> I already have it. <clears throat> and I believe that's, that's me affirming to my subconscious, you know, or reaffirming to my subconscious that I already have everything that I need. Absolutely. The next thing we do is read 1 Corinthians 13, chapters 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And as I said in my video, that is the OG, triple OG blueprint for what love really is. And we remind ourselves of that every morning by reciting it because it keeps it at the forefront of our consciousness. You know, love does not easily anger. It does not keep any record of wrong. So if my wife did something that hurt my feelings yesterday, I'm human. I still may be a little salty, but when I recite that scripture, it lets me know that, that I'm not operating on that true love frequency. You see what I'm saying? It allows me to, to, to it's the bumper guards on the, on the bowling alley. You know, uh-oh, you're going off into the gutter, come back, you know, and it allows me to let that go. And it says love always prevails. So there's no need to be in fear of anything if I'm operating in true love. And that building up cache, like to me, like you're building up cache for your download as soon as you wake up in the morning. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want no, to no, no, but but that that's to the point. And you're you're you hit the bullseye. You're you're absolutely right. That is a great analogy. And and so by the time we get up, we're back in love again for a new day, like in love, not just loving each other, but we're back in love because we have we have we have. Uh, refreshed in our memory what love really is you know it allows me to let go of all that resentment all that stuff that she did you know it lets me know that i have nothing to fear i got my rock i got my listen i'm method man and she's married you know mm -hmm. she's that's all it I need. and 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 that is the first thing we do before we even get out of bed and then the next thing i do as well as my wife, is meditation. Meditation is so, so, because I believe that prayer is, is talking to God and meditation is listening for the answers. And God is already in us. 
So when I meditate, I'm going in and I'm tapping into the God within me. I don't have to pray to some God in the sky or he, he's everywhere, right? But I believe that I'm created in his image and he's in me. Now, again, this is my belief, right? What works for you works for you. But this is what gets me pumped up to win the morning. I meditate. And while I'm meditating, I'm visualizing at the same time. And that's how I start my morning. And then I get a little exercise in. I hydrate as well. I'll drink a quart of warm water with some lime squeezed in it. You know, that uh, really rehydrates the organs that get dehydrated throughout the night. And I'm ready to go. I'm ready to I'm go. Gonna, I'm not going to let you skip over that. What you just said about drinking warm water with some lime juice to hydrate the body. A lot of people don't know that you're breaking your fast when you go to sleep and that the first thing you should do in the morning is drink some warm water, not cold water, but warm, warm temperature water and the antioxidants from the limits. So that, that wasn't a small thing, everybody. That is a great gem. Make sure you take that in. I came up with something called operating at 100%. And what I mean by that is I took five categories, purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Again, that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. I gave each of them 20% each, totaling out to 100%. So mm. every day you would give yourself a score of one to 20 from purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge, adding it up to a weekly average to let you know that you've been working towards your dreams, your endeavors, your purpose. So if you only been operating at 87%, and you need to be at 95%, you're not on the right goal. So the purpose of keeping track of your life and giving yourself an evaluation. So I ask yourself, Mr. King, within the last 24 hours, uh, excuse me, out of the last 24 hours, out of purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge, how much of 100% have you been operating at? Again, that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. I I love that man and and I'm 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 going to write that down as soon as I get off camera because I salute you brother you 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 you're a wise individual and uh, uh thank you very much going to call you Solomon <laughs> <laughs> Oh I really that touched my spirit and it's so it's so spot on so if I had to give you a um, purpose is always operating. If, if I can only give purpose 20%, purpose is every day. Um, knowledge is every day. I, I, I'm always learning something new. Well, let me Even, break each one down for you. So purpose is you're living in your purpose, doing the things you need to do every day, right? Okay, then health great. is you're meditating, eating right, working out, exercising, which you do every morning, right? You already talked about that. Confidence means you're doing without any fear or any insecurity. So if you did anything with fear and insecurities, you got to bump a little off. Money means that you made a little money, saved a little money, invested a little money, gave like gave to a charity. And knowledge means you took in some new information. Okay, new information always, uh, because I'm always seeking new information uh, to give information. So right. that kind of in alignment with my purpose. purpose I'm always right. to give. Right. Uh, you know, just that whole reciprocal effect that the the the, the you, you can't keep it unless you give it away. Right. Um, I, I would have to say that that um, I was lacking in in health because 
me and my wife went and cheated and ate some good old soul food yesterday. So hey, fried turn up. That sounds good. <laughs> mac and cheese and some cabbage and a slice of cake. So I definitely uh, didn't reach the max in terms of, of health. In terms of money, uh, even if I didn't make money, I'm planting seeds uh, uh, that will blossom uh, in the right harvest, if you will. So I'm always planting seeds for the money. So I would have to say it was health. Health, health I didn't operate on. Um, you know, knowledge kind of is always at that 20. Uh, uh, purpose, definitely always. I'm always, I, I have a friend right now I won't mention his name, but I would I would ask that all your your uh, your viewers uh, just send some good vibrations into the air for him. His wife is in a coma. Mm. Uh, she simple surgery and has been in a coma for seventy five days. Mm. And I make it my business to call him every day and pray with him, or just listen and let him vent. You know, just be you know that support system for him uh he is part of my prayer every morning uh along with uh, speaking to folks in recovery and you know pouring into my children so purpose is always uh, at its max um there was purpose there was knowledge there was health there was confidence I'm going to be vulnerable and said that I operated out of a little bit of fear. I don't know if it's fear or, or <clears throat> just um, a lack of complete self-worth. Uh, I questioned myself in a few areas today, you know, but I think that's good because, I, you know, like, I like to put myself in those positions mm -hmm. where I'm not the biggest fish in the pool. Um, and at times that can be very intimidating. You know, when you're with people who may be a little bit further along in accomplishment, you know, you want to achieve what they achieve, but you start to question yourself and you, you know, especially like some of these people are younger than me and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm 55, they're in their thirties and they're here and I'm here. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't allow myself, I don't allow it to fester. Yeah, you, I, can't, you can't stay there. You visit. No. You can't stay. No. I, I use it as 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 motivation to get where they are. You know, if it's one thing I've never been, it's a hater. You know, I applaud people and their victories and their successes. And I want to be like you. And sometimes, you know, just human nature is to compare yourself. And when you compare yourself, you're really comparing their outsides with your insides. And it's an indication of stuff that I need to get better with. But again, don't stay there. Uh, quickly take that and transform it into motivation. And, um, and it usually, it, it, it's part of that pain that helps you grow, if mm. you will. You're comparing, you're out, you're so, out, so out, I would say, I would say, if I wasn't operating on all cylinders, it would be in the categories of health and confidence. So let's put you about eighty percent. Let's take away ten percent for each. And just a full. Okay. You can always throw in a bonus. Consistency is a bonus. It is a six-one, a silent killer because you will have consistency whether you plan for it or not. 
Yeah, I, I think I think, and I heard Denzel say this that uh, consistency uh, is one of the keys to success. Um, there, there, there's a great he talked about consistency and discipline. If you if you uh, YouTube him, he's talking to a small group of actors. He came in, and it's a powerful speech about consistency and discipline, and um, you know. You know, I have I have ebbs and flows with consistency, and it shows. You know, I have massive success when I'm consistent. You know, in my efforts, and when I'm not consistent, I don't. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> Absolutely. You know? So a measure of consistency is whether I have uh, accomplished a task that I set out to achieve or not. Because it's not a matter of skill set, like I said before. First of all, I believe that if God put it on my heart, it was meant to come to pass. And it's just about my level of effort, effort being the consistency that I put into it. So that's a that's a barometer for how much consistency I've put in, whether I've accomplished that task or on my way to accomplishing it, or am I falling behind? Absolutely. Thank you, sir. You are now part of the Silhouette Boys Club. It is people like you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. Now, before you go, we'd love to get referrals for the show. Is there any man you would recommend to come on this show and drop these gems? Yeah, there's a few, but there's, there's one that stands out. His name is Marcus Black. And on Instagram, he is M Black Speaks. And when I tell you, he, he likes to coin himself as the superhero without a cape. And he really, really, really lives up to that, that title, man. He is a powerful brother. So anyone listening, go to his, his, uh, his uh, Instagram, M Black Speaks. He speaks with such power and such profoundness and just such purpose. Man, he's a powerful brother. And uh, he would definitely, definitely bring value to your show, without question. Well, maybe you can get us in touch with Mr. Marcus Black. I'm, I'm going to plug you. Yeah, plug, gonna... plug us in and let us know. Now, before we go, we'd love to hear we can get your book or anything you got going on. Plug your social medias. Let my people know about your people so our people can call your people. <laughs> I appreciate that opportunity, brother. I really appreciate that opportunity. So once again, here is the book. It's uh, called It's Really Good to See You. It is Amazon's number one bestseller in several categories. Amazon number one new release in several categories. As you can see, the forward was written by Mr. Les Brown himself. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal story of pain, uh, perseverance, and purpose. And the story within the story is the love story and the loyalty that my wife shows to me, the lioness that came out in her and protected me throughout that entire uh, ordeal. Um, you can find this, if you want a signed autograph copy, you can go directly to my website. It's really good to see you.com. Plain and simple. It's really good to see you.com. Everyone who orders the book from my website will get a signed autographed copy mailed out by me. It's also on Amazon um, in ebook form and in paperback. 
Stay tuned in about two weeks. The hardcover will be out for your coffee table. And if you want to email me, uh, you can at Stephen at it's really good to see you.com. Real simple. Stephen, S T E V E N, at it's really good to see you.com. On Facebook, I'm Stephen Anthony King. On Instagram, I'm Stephen Anthony King. Come holla at me, guys. I'm here. I'd like to build with you. Thank you, Mr. King. For those yes, listening, you can reach me at solutionsformen at gmail.com to be a guest on the show. Also at Sheem One on all platforms. Let's continue this conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, or in the streets if you see me. Before we go, we end with a quote from Dr. Miles Monroe. True success is not measured by how much you have done or accomplished. It's not compared to what others have done or accomplished. True success is, is what you could have done compared to what you could have done. True, excuse me, let me rephrase that. True success is what you have done compared to what you could have done. In other Correct. words, living to the maximum is competing with yourself. It's living up to your own true standards and capabilities. Success is satisfying your own personal passion and pursuit of personal excellence. So question of the day, question of your life, are you maximizing your life? Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Solutions for Men. We thank you, Mr. Stephen Anthony King. Y'all go out and get the book because, like we said in the beginning of the show, it is really good to see you. Peace and blessings, y'all. It is really good to see you, my brother. I'm very impressed with you, young King, and keep winning. Just keep winning. Peace and blessings to you, man. Peace and blessings.